We're live. So Schwarmacon was elected in charge of Fort White. You are now tuned into Leak Spec. What do you think about that, Josh? Yeah, so I predicted uh, the winner of the Fort White by-election in which has always held a PC uh, party member has once again voted a PC party member. And Obi Khan has won by a landslide victory in which he uh, took a number of the votes again. Am I correct? No. Well, you were... Not a landslide. And that's not what I would call a landslide. 192 votes. Yeah, yeah, he only won by 192, right? Way uh, different than I believe it was over 1,500 votes that the previous uh, election with Brian Pallister uh, saw this PC member on, on top. Pallister took 56% of that vote, didn't he? Yeah, exactly. Well, Abby should was, have been giving out more free shawarma. Uh, that, oh, yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> I would have ran over there and voted for him. That would have won me over. Yeah. But we're, we're ruled by our stomachs. That's, <laughs> we that's are true. apes. That's true. That's true. What What do you have to say, Adam? Because I asked you what would happen if a conservative didn't take this uh, in a large uh, percentage of the vote. And you said it might tell us something about the provincial party. I think that this is a something that the Conservative Party should pay attention to because this is not a good sign for them. They should have won this easily. Well, I wonder why people don't like the PC party of Manitoba. I mean, Abi Khan, we can like. He's a good guy and he's a good businessman and he's well-liked and he has good ideas. So much for, as he said in his website there. But uh, do they have a leadership problem with the PC party? Has that Heather Stevenson, who we said previously is a story for another day, has she <laughs> said anything well-liked in the province recently, or is it just the opposite? Well, you could ask her, but the only answer you'd probably get is something about her kid playing sports. Also, a correction on Khan, it's actually 197 votes. So, anyways, <laughs> um, yeah, Michael Lee, I'm going to ask you, See if you could pull up this video of Heather Stephenson. Do we have a video of that? Let's watch. Crystal Musso's life matters. She is dearly missed by her friends, family, and her children. We now know, of course, that the government will not call an inquest to her death. But new information coming to light. The critical incident investigation into her death. This information is very concerning. The company contracted to transport Crystal out of province, used staff that did not have the proper training, and used vehicles that did not have the right equipment to care for ICU patients. I'll table a document that lays this out. Does the Premier agree that a team transporting ICU patients should have the necessary training and equipment to do so safely? The Honourable First Minister. Thank you very much, Madam Speaker. And before I get to uh, the member's question, I just wanted to say that sometimes it's uh, we need to remember that we need to take time to celebrate our kids. And, and last night, uh, it was a proud mom moment for me. It was a proud parent moment for both my husband and I when uh, 
We were at a, a hockey rink in Selkirk, and Tommy and his high school hockey team were playing the St. Paul's Crusaders, and they were they de they uh, defeated the Westwood Warriors to become the Manitoba Provincial High School Hockey Champions. Uh, Madam Speaker, I just want to uh, congratulate Tommy, all his team members, and the coach Andrew Harder. Uh, for their victory Shut last it, night, woman. Come uh, on. Madam Speaker. It's an exciting day for... Uh, How did she think this family. was a correct response and, uh, to that question? Thank you for, uh, for so, he asked a very legitimate question, and she proceeded to take her whole time to yap about her kid winning a hockey game. What I'd like to know, and I'm not on camera saying this, but... Um, was there a talk about her kids and stuff before this? Before she just started talking about that? Or did she just bring this up randomly? I believe she just brought that up. Yikes. That's poor leadership poor leadership on her part. I, I don't I just I I don't like her. I, I absolutely don't like it. I'll make it no secret. I bought a PC membership just to vote against her because she's such a terrible person as a leader. Like absolutely has no idea of how she should be running a political party and actually focusing on policies and things that actual people care about in life here. Come on. Like what is what is she going on about? I, I don't understand. I, I just I can't even begin to comprehend how that would how I don't know. I, don't even, I mean, I don't even, even say the sentence I I'm trying to say. I don't even understand what uh, Wob Canoe is going on about because obviously, obviously everybody's lives matter when they're in care from our healthcare system, right? In the hospitals. It's such a dumb question also to ask. It's like, yes, everybody agrees that people should have the best training that we can get. Yeah, but he's not talking about just... Um, I, I'm not going to get into it. No, get into it. No, it's gonna. It's it's not great. I I think it was a perfectly legitimate question, and I think it was important yeah, a, that he asked it. It's a legitimate question. What I'm getting at is, it's such an easy answer that you just simply state what exactly is needed in healthcare and why we can either get there or we can't get there based on what your party's policies are. Well, I think he was asking that question mostly to illustrate the massive failure that occurred, and... It's just another failure in a long line of failures that this current government has, you know, basically overseen over that, the last few years. That's exactly my point. If you were a le like a, a legitimate leader of a party, you would have solid evidence or at least a solid plan to say, hey, this is our plan going forward to take care of healthcare. And obviously, this person's life matters, and everybody in healthcare uh, that's taking, being taken care of in healthcare matters, right? But well, that was question period, not campaign period, though. It doesn't matter. You're a politician. First of all, it's always campaign season because if you should be representing policies 24 7 that you're representing into le uh, legal. Uh, into into law and policy that you're going to create you're the government right now you know you got to take responsibility for the things that your previous government has did under your leadership or under the previous leadership who are we talking about this heather stephenson the oh, one that I, I we're all criticizing wob who cares about wob he's in the opposition it's his point to ride on the on the government that's the point of opposition well that's what he was doing i know and so it, I, my point is i'm job. riding i'm riding on on Heather Stephenson's response. Oh, it was just brutal. It was, and that's I just can't understand. If you had a legitimate reason to talk about your ideas in in public policy, 
why do you go on about such idiocy? And I don't get it. What do you think, Michael Lee? Her question shocked me. Her sorry, her answer shocked me. I didn't quite understand how she just went off about her kids in the hockey and tournament and everything. I legitimately thought because I didn't see the video before that, so I thought that maybe that someone was mentioned before, and then she went back to it. But it seemed like she just went into it and just didn't even hear his question. Um, she just wanted to announce her to family announce thing. Her, yeah, she just wanted to announce that, and just. I don't know what the situation was with the whole kids thing and bringing up, you know, celebrate our kids, celebrate our families. I don't, I don't really know what the background story to that is. If she's just that. It doesn't matter. My point. Me go ahead. I wasn't sure if she's just dense or if she's just. She is. She's dense. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's, that's all I had to say about that. Listen, one. we we often agree with conservatives, but we definitely don't agree with her methods at all. No. Like. That my point is, if I was to answer Wab Canoe, I would have simply stated, like, my intention is that, like, we're going to try to make healthcare better by providing the best financing for training we can, whether that's getting more government financing from a federal government that's constantly cutting uh, the funding to prevent to provinces for provincial healthcare, you know, or, or whatever the, the situation is. The fact that she just is in the legislature talking about random stuff that you could be talking about on your podcast or your youtube videos at home rather than the actual business at hand is is absolutely asinine she should have a plan as the leader she should know her talking points at the very least and have her people who are talking about the policy know more about it the fact that she couldn't answer this damn question is just case in point of how bad of a leader heatherson heather stephenson really is and goes back to what point Abi Khan has probably suffered in his election that he just picked up because she is so bad and it reflects on him. Yeah, I think he'll probably be a, a, a decent MLA. Yeah, he definitely will be. He's, he's common sense and hopefully if he can, you know, have a party that actually has a plan going forward because what this is showing us is that this current PC party, not good leadership. They need to be, how should I say, does Wait. Heather know she's the leader? <laughs> yeah. no, she's, probably, she's probably not the leader. She's probably just reading whatever the party tells her, and she's just dumb. <laughs> she's a puppet, what you're saying. That's, well, that's that what is... I said from the start about her. Yeah. Met. She is. What goes through your head that makes you think that's, how, that's what you should respond to yeah. that okay. question with? Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, dumb. Dumb. <laughs> Moving right along. There's a coalition government. Is that correct? In the in the pro, uh, the federal government, the vote for a liberal is a vote for a socialist, and the vote for an opposition party is a vote for more liberals. Right, Adam? Is that it's what we're getting? It's not a coalition. No, it's just a coalition. What are we talking about, Adam? The coalition that isn't a coalition. The NDP and the liberals have an agreement. An agreement to what? Continue doing what they've been doing already. Basically, yeah, basically, they're going to actually support some more far, uh, some more leftist policies. Don't say far left. Come no, on. No, no, no. I'm not saying far left. We've already been over that far business. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely not it. <laughs> no, they're going to, they're going to, um, support some more socialist causes in the, uh, 
federal system here that we maybe can afford, maybe we can't. I don't know. Uh, well, I don't think they know either because they haven't really explained how they intend to pay for any of it. So the NDP government is, or the NDP uh, opposition of, what, what do they have, 20 seats? I have no idea. Of a small amount, just to make a majority government with the liberals, uh, they've made an agreement that they will vote with them against uh, any... Um, what do you call it? Uh, what do you call it? Confidence. Confidence votes. I'm having a brain fart there. And they'll, su- that they'll support uh, on all confidence motions as long as they pass those few policies, which are mainly a national pharmacare plan and a national uh, dental care plan. So, Adam, do you have any strong feelings on this? Because I'm, I'm going either way on the fence, believe it or not. Like, there's some positive... Um, there can be positive results to these types of programs. Uh, I'm not an expert, so I won't say they're they're bad or they're great. Uh, I can definitely see them having some benefit if they're done correctly. Now, ask me if I'm convinced that this coalition, not a coalition, will do it correctly. That's another answer. But my biggest question with all of this is, we've already got a universal healthcare system and we just watch it get its ass handed to it by COVID. Should we perhaps be put, uh, directing some funds towards figuring out how to how to improve that system? And I don't want to hear um, the the um, cop out answer of it's a provincial system because it's it it it's not just a provincial system. It's funded largely by the federal government as well as the provincial government, and it's essentially a system in which both levels of government have to cooperate for it to be functional and improved. And I think that instead of throwing money at new uh, universal programs, we should try to rehabilitate the important ones we've already got. That's a good point. And one way to do that might be to actually create a higher GDP for this country where we actually make money and export goods and have a stronger dollar. Would you agree? Like what, Josh? What could we possibly export that we have lots of in this country hmm. that other countries in the world really seem to need right now? Please enlighten us. That is a good point. Because as I see it right now, you know what our deficit at right now? No. Well, basically, for every dollar of GDP that Canada produces, we have three... times as much debt great what does that mean for the average person well that just means that dollar is not going to go as far as it used to because we're going to just have a weaker dollar based on the fact that we aren't a strong economic nation and I don't know why we can't be a strong economic nation do you know why well because we take our advantages that we have and then shoot them in the foot until they don't do anything for us yeah by elitist leaders that are much richer than us average working people and we get the shaft we get the taxes and we get the suffering from the policies that they they enact it's okay because interest rates are going to go up that'll fix everything i was uh reading an article uh, in Bloomberg News saying that inflation only uh, really stings for the people that make under 300000 a year. So oh, just them. Yeah. 
So if you're just one of those people, inflation's going to make a big uh, impact on your life. But other than that, if you're just a, you know, a regular old, regular old wealthy person, <laughs> don't worry about inflation. I don't know how many of you fall under that category, but I'm definitely not in that category. I'm in the category where inflation is concerning. Yeah. Yes, it is. It's definitely concerning. With that said, Adam, our man, Pierre Polievre, running to be prime minister one day, probably in 2025, because there'll be no confidence motions prior to that. Right. Unless some kind of crazy uh, crossing the floor happens. Hmm. Um, he has a plan. Do you know what that is? He's going to eliminate just inflation? Yes. Adam, How's Michael, he going to do I that? It. <laughs> Michael, you pull up this plan. We're in a global crisis. Russia has illegally invaded Ukraine. After years of warning it would. And it's been shocking how weak Europe's response has been in the lead up to this tyrant's invasion of this independent country. While some countries have stepped up to the plate, major European players are sitting on the sidelines asking Russia nicely to stop the war. There's a reason much of Europe has cowered in the face of this thug, oil and gas. The countries that have been weakest on Russia's aggression are the ones that rely on Russian energy to heat their homes, drive their cars, and power their economies. In fact, almost 40% of European Union natural gas comes from Russia. This is a problem for two reasons. One, it means Putin holds the cards when he's negotiating with Europe. He can turn off the pipes if he wants to amp up the pressure. Two. By buying Russian oil and gas, Europe is filling Putin's war chest, giving him the money he needs to build up his army and invade his neighbors. It's like walking up to the bully to give him your lunch money before he even asks for it. For example, the international community could have long ago crippled Russia's ability to do banking and fund war by cutting it off from the all-important swift messaging system that connects over 11,000 financial institutions in hundreds of countries a move that the French finance minister said would be a, quote, financial nuclear weapon. So why didn't they act long ago? Well, because European countries worried that if they cut Russia off the global banking system, Europeans would have no way of paying for Russian gas to heat their homes and power their industries. As always, petroleum is driving geopolitics. Europe has to beg Putin for energy, so Putin holds all the cards. But we can help take away those cards because Canada has what Europe needs and lots of it, energy. We have it coast to coast, a total of 1,300 trillion cubic feet of marketable natural gas resources, according to estimates by the Canadian Energy Regular. But as the Financial Post points out, quote, Canada currently has no natural gas export terminals on either coast thanks in part to a regulatory environment that often delays projects for years. So we have the energy, but we can't sell it to Europe or Asia. But good news, there are multiple proposed projects to get Canada's liquefied natural gas, or LNG, to world markets like Europe and Asia. For example, 
there's the proposed LNG Newfoundland and Labrador, which proposes a $10 billion bill that will liquefy and ship natural gas extracted off the East Coast all the way to Europe. Newfoundland has the added benefit of being the closest point in North America to Europe, which means shorter shipping distances. If developed, it would produce some of the cleanest liquefied natural gas in the world. Local First Nations are partners in the project and will get significant paychecks for their people and self-sufficiency for their communities. So will many other Newfoundlanders and Labradorians. It would also help Europe kick its addiction to Russian gas so they could stand up to Putin rather than funding him. More money for Canadian paychecks, less money for Putin's war chest. But once again, the risk is that bureaucratic gatekeepers here at home will block it, like always. Justin Trudeau says he wants to phase out our oil and gas production, and one of his most trusted cabinet ministers was even arrested for an illegal anti-energy protest. Every time Trudeau kills a Canadian energy project, the dirty dictators like Venezuela's Maduro or Russia's Putin do a victory dance because they get to sell more of their energy when we sell less. One of Trudeau's worst laws, Bill C-69, makes it almost impossible to ever get a pipeline approved. He's vetoed the Northern Gateway Pipeline and added red tape and bureaucracy to kill the Energy East Pipeline, which would have taken Western Canadian oil to Eastern Canadian refineries. That same kind of story has been repeated again and again across the country. Not to mention the companies who don't even bother trying anymore. You want to know the worst irony? Blocking these projects hurts the environment. There are coal plants across the globe that could be shut down if Canada could provide the world with the clean natural gas it needs. So here's the plan. As Prime Minister, I will, one, scrap Trudeau's anti-energy laws. Two, replace them with rules that truly protect the environment, consult First Nations, and give quick decisions on proposed energy projects. Three, require regulators fast-track decisions on projects like LNG Newfoundland and Labrador that protect international security. Simply put, my government will remove the bureaucratic gatekeepers so our workers can get bigger paychecks and Canadian energy can power our allies against tyranny. We will take back control of our energy future and our workers will take back control of their lives and the world will be a greener, safer place because of it. Well, Adam, I, uh, I'd love to see a, a society where we had all clean cars and electrical vehicles and whatever kind of uh, society that would bring in the future where we have carbon-free. But until that time, you know what? Canada is the third largest oil reserve in the world after Venezuela and Saudi Arabia. Canada is the fifth largest producer of natural gas in the world. And Canada is the sixth largest producer of crude oil in the world. Um, but those have- are all bad. Yeah, they are. They are bad. Yet they are what we are basically fighting wars about for the last twenty years, and previous to that, another twenty years or thirty years. Correct. We can sustain ourselves off of Canadian oil and gas for like another two or three hundred years. 
would it not be a good thing for the world to have clean cleaner oil rather than dirty russian and saudi arabian oil and venezuelan oil yes so maybe a plan in canada where we produce that dirty but yet cleaner oil for canadians and for other countries in which we get stronger economic value and more dollars in our system based on our product which we could turn around and use towards funding greener technologies investing in in, into the research to support something that will be eventually carbon free wouldn't it be a good idea to start in that route it would be it would definitely be better if uh if canada could be producing oil to help out a lot of those countries in Europe right now. Yeah. They wouldn't be so uh, tied down to uh, You're a particular country. You're saying allowing a country to fund a war off of their oil and gas is a bad idea, but yet not as bad as Canada producing its own clean gas and oil in which they could use for the Canadian healthcare system in which we are trying to improve? Something like that, yeah. What? You think it's better that we fund, let Russia fund wars rather than Canada support its own healthcare system? Is that what you're saying? That's not what I'm saying. But no, that but that be seems to be what some people believe. That seems to be the reality of this world right now. We can't produce any more oil or gas because it's bad. Yeah. So instead... Buy it from those countries. Right. Buy it from Russia. That ruined the planet. Right. Not a smart move. I think we should, in the time being, for the next 10 or 15 years, invest in that because, you know what? Who sees gas going away? Who's going to purchase these electric vehicles when the cost of them is astronomically more than the average person can afford? They are somewhat of a luxury right now, though that may change in the coming years, but we're, we're not quite there yet. In the meantime, you know, gas-powered vehicles are just just cheaper, more accessible to people, which is going to matter as things get more expensive. So it's probably time to stop being so ideological about things and start realizing the reality that we're in and act accordingly. Isn't it just better then that the government pays for a bunch of drugs and people's dental to the tune of like over a hundred billion dollars with money that we don't really have as an income well they'll pay for it with our money they'll just tax us more okay so what we're saying is we will get poorer from these taxes and the drug companies will basically just get richer this is a plan that the socialists have invented to funnel money towards drug companies well allegedly okay so the They'll they'll tell you the the socialists. I don't know whatever. They'll tell you um, the country will be able to pay less for these drugs if they are negotiating on a national scale. That is a true argument. I have read that they they we do currently spend I think three or four times as much on drugs as the U.S. does. In the U.S., obviously, with their national pharmacare plan, uh, makes a lot a lot of sense as to why we should go that same route, right? Yeah, how's that working out for them? Yeah, they don't have a national pharmacare plan yet. They're spending a lot less on drugs. Really? 
Well, how about their uh, national dental care plan for lower income people? Yeah, they don't have one of those either. What? But but the the fact does remain that they do spend less on drugs, and it's probably due to the fact that they have a greater uh, demand uh, with their larger population of being like ten times the size of Canada. Right. So will Canada suddenly be able to buy drugs for cheaper if we're if if the basically the federal government is negotiating on behalf of all of us? Well, I guess we'll see because I don't know if I fully believe that. But either way, maybe maybe not. The plan calls right now. We were talking uh, for. Uh, support for drugs uh, in pharmacare for households that make uh, less than 90,000, correct? I believe that's the dental care plan. Is that the dental care plan? What, I don't, we don't, do we know any details of the pharmacare plan that they're actually projecting? I, I haven't, I can't say that I know too many details of it. I know initially when they projected uh, the first pharma, national pharmacare plan for the liberal government, it was going to cost about $8 billion annually and the NDP wanted to increase that to a larger uh, support for people that would be around the $28 billion per year plan. That's quite the increase. Well, it's even more than that now. Of course, everything is more expensive. Yeah, it's an interesting subject. Uh, I, I'd be interested to know with the natural, National Pharmacare, uh, what, what is the plan really? Because is it going to actually end up being national pharmacare in the most universal sense in which our companies and unions that have lovely benefits for pharmacare are just going to turn around and say why are we paying for drugs for our employees as well as through the tax system if the pharmacare is going to cover for everything it's a great question i look at this as twofold because i'm not opposed to a national pharmacare if we can afford it like we're saying if 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 we had nice oil money like back in the day when oil was good and the previous trudeau government came up with a, a national energy board there and basically wasted away the dollars in which they could have put into a fund norway did that they the opposite of what the trudeau government they actually put their money into a fund and they had like billions and billions of dollars in which they can now afford to give free services to people in norway they also pay a lot of tax in norway that's true that's true but way more than us that is also true that is true but what i'm saying is they have money to support uh, to back some of the the costs on the things that they are spending so with that being said i had heard that canada could have had a fund of over 700 billion dollars if we had been working on that plan rather than spending the money and uh, that would have gone a long ways to strengthening the canadian economy why why didn't we do that well people like to spend money instead of save money but uh well presumably some of it was probably spent on things the country needed some of it kind of yeah it's a it, that that's a good video you can actually pull up a couple articles on that or videos on youtube about uh the Norwegian model and how it compares to Canada, but perhaps we'll do that another day. Yeah, we should actually. And then on top of that, I'm just saying, I look at pharmacare as being a, a good option and a bad option because like I'm saying, it's going to cost people money. We're looking at the negative of it, right? If it does support lower drug costs, that might be the one good thing. If 
it you can turn around and tell people um that have let's say cancer or other real debilitating diseases right or or conditions that would have astronomically high drug costs they they're definitely going to be in favor of a national pharmacare plan because now they can afford their lifestyles because the drugs that say for cancer or um or maybe even diabetes or uh ms right those people will have their drugs paid for through the tax dollar i could see a pharmacare plan in which maybe we support life changing drug plans right that would just cripple anybody that might be a method in which we support pharmacare and rather than uh, a system in which we just pay for all drugs for everybody you, you understand what i'm trying to trying to get at here for an option for pharmacare yeah if you have a condition and you need a, a drug for it and the treatments are like a hundred thousand dollars a treatment then maybe this plan should help you out yeah like like well yeah if you if you have to spend like a thousand dollars a month or two thousand dollars a month on drugs right sure and you can't afford that but let's just say we had a system where it just backed employee funded drugs because like it, it's hard to it's hard to understand like w we need to have a system that's sustainable for pharmacare these previous models that i was discussing at eight and 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 30 billion dollars basically were were looked at as being unreasonable and unsustainable and now we're gonna move ahead on a much more pricey system i don't I, I just are they though are they gonna actually do it yeah they're gonna do it allegedly you don't believe them not really what would be the point of the the ndp supporting the uh current government up until 2025 what was the point of them supporting the liberal government in the emergencies act they complained that they didn't like it and they did it anyways you don't think they'll just do that again they do like clinging on to their little pretend bit of power they have oh so that's what you're saying this this whole supposed coalition is i'll believe it when i see it a front that's that's what i'm saying i mean the liberals can do some they can just keep their like method of doing everything half-assed and just offer the ndp some half-assed version of what they're asking for and going oh well we tried and the ndp can go well we don't like this but we're gonna vote for them anyways because we like being important yeah when i heard this i was like okay they're gonna just move on on a bunch of left policies That's... but are they yeah so then I, I i sat back and sat and and listened to jagmeet singh talk and he was basically saying if we don't like what we're seeing we'll pull the support for it at any time so really they've I, already proven they won't do that they'll yeah th they're saying they might do it when they see fit it, it's sure. it's a it's a marriage by opportunity between these two parties and i have i have little faith in either of them and actually accomplishing meaningful change i feel like onto a different discussion point i'm gonna say here when we vote you guys we all vote for specific policies or parties and we seem to get ideologues right we were saying vote party or vote policy not party vote policy not party well, we need to put that on a shirt yeah so when we get our electors our elected officials in the house of commons or in the legislature they just stick to these ideological bents that they're on 
rather than having meaningful debate in uh, in the House and coming to a conclusion, or at least a compromise, I should say, that parties, leading the government party and the opposition party could somewhat agree on. Isn't that the purpose of uh, our elected system, or am I just being wishfully naive? Yes. I'm being wish- wishfully naive. Well, that is the purpose, but you're being wishfully naive in hoping for it to happen. So you're saying yes to both. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think that we need to turn around, like I've been saying previously, and, and vote out these uh, career politicians everywhere. Everywhere you see career politicians, they just worry more about getting their vote rather than actually what's good for people. And, and I think we need more debate, like... If Michael Lee or Adam disagrees with me, we debate it, right? Whatever point it is on this show, we'll debate it. And then we'll come up with some kind of conclusion that is more sustainable between the three of us that there's some form of agreement, right? Right. That's what we see. That's what our politicians need to do. And I don't see why they can't do it. I don't see why, why, why does our leader... Have, have to be such a power hungry madman is that not what justin trudeau is that's what he is now mm-hmm. was he not that previously when the pandemic started and he asked for unrestricted power and the house of commons not to sit and vote yeah when he was just like we're gonna spend money and not pass a budget and there'll be no debate on it yeah. isn't isn't it what uh he did when there was a uh we scandal being held and and the the opposition parties were looking into it and rather than having the opposition parties look into it he called a snap election in which the uh canceled all the uh he prorogued parliament yeah so they couldn't look into that scandal that was going on yeah he didn't seem like he was like this when he was first elected but um, but shortly after that, he canned a very popular uh, woman, indigenous woman, from her position. Mm-hmm. He be- did that. Because of the SNC-Lavalin affair. Yeah, she wouldn't do what he said. She tried to actually do her job. Yeah. And so now we have this prime minister trying to take control with another party. Is Is, is this just him holding on to power as long as he can rather than debating yeah. with the house of commons about what canadians legitimately need coming out of this pandemic and coming into a situation where we have massive just inflation yeah but it, i mean these are big changes that they're talking about with the ndp these idiots haven't done anything big since they've been in power they legalized weed that's about it they're not going to just suddenly make all these huge changes all of a sudden because the NDP said so now. I don't bu- I don't buy it. I don't buy it. Uh, that's a fair criticism. I I, under- I understand where you're coming from. I I I like I like to hear it too and I just like to say Justin Trudeau recently was talking in front of the European Union and he made a couple of comments that I highlight my point at least in my opinion i want to hear what you guys have to say but 
he was talking about the the freedom convoy and his opinion on that he was warning the eu legislators about and this was uh his words what he called cynical populists like the leaders of the freedom convoy who he says were effective at turning citizens with real anxieties against the system best suited to allay those concerns that sounds like a tongue twister that's a great editorial yeah but it go it flies in the face of what actually happened <laughs> and he can't just make that claim without some kind of uh supporting statement but more to the point why do they give a crap it wasn't their problem. That was a Canada problem. No, that's my point. He's talking to these EU uh, politicians, and he's he's calling these other people that he disagrees with uh, cynical populists, and he's viewing his system of government as being the system in which can support the measures that prevent the at that point the pandemic response i think that view that other people in the government or in the well, yeah in the government but at least populist opinion can't decide for themselves what they want in a free and democratic country is is quite arrogant well canada i've said it, i've said it before canada is a country with many viewpoints and it's one of the reasons that it's so great but unfortunately we have a government that accepts only its own and if you don't agree with the narrative you're you, they'll come with all kinds of names to call you fringe cynical populist what whatever is convenient but i still don't get why any of this was the eu's concern don't they maybe have another issue a little more pressing than a convoy in Canada that they're perhaps trying to deal with why was he yapping about this in the first place because it's it's important to him that's how he views it and he he's 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 using it as a example in in current events right now what he's explaining to him i mean this this is the same uh prime minister who he also said in that speech i i i probably should put a link to it actually it's somewhat um it's interesting but you know what a lot of people might just be disgusted by hearing his voice so he he did <laughs> he did say that Putin doesn't understand the rigors of debate that forceful civic engagement is what makes democracy strong. So we have a prime minister talking out of both sides of his mouth. He understands that rigorous debate in the House of Commons, like I've been previously saying in this conversation, is what makes democracy strong. Yet, from our Prime Minister's own actions, what does he do? He just aligns with the party that he most agrees with, and he's moving towards, hopefully, policies that he and his leftist party, more leftist party, can support, rather than the what he called rigorous debate that supports and strengthens dem democratic values. Yeah, and he also supports protesting when it's in another country. He's... Two-faced. <laughs> I've heard someone call him that before. But yeah. So, with that all said, you guys. Do we think 
that Canada is going to move down a new road with this current Liberal government, or are you just cynical, Adam, at, that they won't accomplish anything good because they really don't know how to have that meaningful, rigorous debate to strengthen our electoral system and create policies that a more majority of Canadians could be uh, agree with and compromise with. Is this just another opportunity for Justin to be on TV? Because we know he likes to be on TV. Yeah, exactly. Let us know. Comment down below.